Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to the Gym Session. My name is Jimmy Zabo and I'm here thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA and the Footy Live app. Make sure you download the Footy Live app today for all your stats, scores, news, highlights, opinions and podcasts. And uh, if you also love your NRL, EPL, NBA, A-League, NFL or European football, type Sportsmate into the App Store or Google Play Store to access our large suite of incredible sports apps. We are finally back today in the studio after a couple of uh, episodes in lockdown over the past two weeks but we are happy to be back with a content-packed episode today. As promised last week, Mr. Mark Robert Robinson will be joining us as today's guest. Nick and Gordo will be back for a Monday review panel on a Tuesday, and we will answer all your emails and tweets. What's a round of footy we had? Uh, it finished yesterday afternoon with Nathan Buckley getting the fairy tale finish he deserved, beating the Melbourne Demons in the Queen's birthday clash by 17 points. Who would have thought that all they needed to do to get a win was to sack the coach? But um, seriously, before we start the show, I wanted to say this. We all know Nathan Buckley was essentially sacked. But uh, in trademark Buckley fashion, he went out in a way that would allow the club to save what was left of their professional reputation, which was very little. Uh, after last year, they've been a bit of a basket case since the, uh, the end of trade season. And Bucks, whether you believe he contributed to it or not, he has got more blame than he should have. Since 1993, Nathan Buckley has put the Collingwood Football Club first. During his time as head coach, he's always backed his club and the players in a way every fan would like to see their head coach do. He had a chance to clip the club on the way out um, after forcing him to give up his position, but he didn't. He mutually agreed not to leave, but to allow the Pies to make it appear they weren't blaming a club champion for on-field results. Nathan Buckley is a selfless leader who deserved nothing less than going out as a winner, and while a three-goal home-and-away victory might not mean a great deal in terms of 2021, it should be remembered as the time Bucks was able to motivate his players to outperform the Premiership favourites who were superior in form, paper and progress, simply due to the determination to send him out with the highest possible respect in the circumstances. It was the first time I ever was happy to see a Collingwood win, so a big well done to the Pies, well done to Collingwood and one well done to Nathan Buckley. That's all from me, enough Collingwood chat. It's time for a quick Punderful Round recap and then we'll get to the interview. <laughs> Thursday night footy was back and the fast start entertained everyone from row A to row Z. He kicked four in the opening term, but the fans had a front row and seat to Gary, who'd be lying if he said he didn't dominate. Catnaps were short-lived and Paddy danger signs emerged. A power surge in the second term did shock Geelong, but the toing and throwing for the remainder of the game suited Chris Scott's weapon, the Tomahawk. Jeremy also proved he can run and can kick. Cats by 21 points. In one of the upsets of the season, Will made Hawthorne's day. The giant newcomer laid 14 tackles on debut and Phillips' head screwed with the opposition. He kicked two. If the AFL ranked teams with different rows, the Swans would rank row bottom, as not even two Mills, who got 33 touches, would have been able to drown the Hawks. Close, but no Seglar. Hawthorne by 38 points. <laughs> Saturday afternoon's clash between the Dockers and Suns was hard to swallow. Bad skills were more contagious than COVID and... Gold Coast looked to be social distancing all game. It was the first day of the weekend, but all we could do was talk about Monday, one of the only highlights in a game that was anything but aish. Those suns hurt the eyes. Dockers by 27 points. You had to see it to believe it as a filling end to the game broke hearts and jaws. Adelaide looked like they were slowing down in the opening half, managing their first score in the second term. 
But after the Saints went the early crow, who found their Ben Keys to the comeback truck in the third, a thrill seeker was over his head when he kicked the winner, just in the nicks of time. Brett, you didn't see that coming. Adelaide by six points. The spirit of Tasmania rose the ruse to a new level for three quarters, but a giant storm in the final term decked the hall. Aaron had 31 touches and Cam was zero hard as a rock, but that couldn't stop Kelly as his gang robbed two points from a noble performance. As we would draw a breath in the final seconds, the teams would draw a match. Like they say, a draw is like kissing your sister, only in Tassie. North, 94, GWS, 94. <laughs> the Wild West hosted an epic duel that would end with Kennedy getting the last shot. Eagles looked extinct for most of the night due to Jaden's short supply of nourishment, but after a twist and a hern from the Eagles late in the game, West Coast found their Allen key to success. Big marks and big goals were not going to give the Tigers a chance. The glimmer of hope for a top four berth is getting dimmer. Can Tigers turn it around? That's a very broad question. Eagles by four points. The Queen's birthday proved a match fit for a king and a nobleman. John wasn't the best on ground, but Pendlebury was. Great Scott. Jordan finally got to going and Braden may not have expected to play so well. Melbourne would have to face their own demons as a lack of effort made sure they were gone from the contest. It was a fitting end to the coach's final game. Now how will we motivate these players to perform like this again, the Pies board asks. It might take more than a million bucks. Good win for Nathan. Simon Badloss. Melbourne by 17 points. Okay, today's guest needs no introduction really, but we'll give him one anyway. As one of the most important figures in the footy landscape, this man sets the agenda, breaks news and graces our TV sets on almost a nightly basis. His passion for the game, love of writing and determination to succeed has led him to secure the most prestigious role in sports writing in Melbourne as the chief football writer of Australia's largest selling newspaper. This man not only delivers us engaging content through the Herald Sun, he entertains us through his authentic opinions on radio and intriguing interviews on AFL 360. He once told me a few years back, you've got to believe in what you're writing and have the balls to put yourself out there. Well, today, I truly believe it when I write. It is a great pleasure and feeling of pure excitement to introduce Mr. Mark Robinson to the gym session. Robbo. How are you, mate? Yeah, hello, Jim. That was a very nice introduction, Sal. You've come a long way since you did a, um, a school... What was it, an assignment, a thesis? Yeah. What were you doing when, I, um, when you interviewed me last? It was a journalism assignment, that's right. I think it was it was like six years ago now, I think. Um, or seven six years, years ago. ago. Yeah. How's your life gone since then? It's gone well, mate. I've uh, I've got a job in uh, doing a bit of sports writing and um, covering footy, writing about footy, doing podcasts. I absolutely love it, mate. So it's been good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, bold opinions, put your names to them, be yep. strong and believe what you do. And believe what you're saying. Thanks, mate. I try to. I try to. And that advice you gave me um, really sunk in. And that's that's what I try and do, mate. I enjoy watching you every night, as as do a lot of people. I thank you a lot for joining me today because I know you're a busy man. Uh, what does an average Tuesday look like for you? Average Tuesday for me. Um, well, you rang me twice while I was on the phone <laughs> to Lee Matthews discussing yeah. the David McKay case. Mm-hmm. So I was on the phone for him for half an hour, yep. just talking about his position and what he has seen over his 70 odd years on the planet from when he started playing in the late 60s, junior football, early 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so every Tuesday, every every Tuesday you wake up after 
Absolutely. The Monday shows, the Monday call after the weekend. We had the game yesterday, of course, which is uh, Nathan Buckley's last game. So waking up today, and there's only one big issue, I think, in footy at the moment, and that's the David McKay um, tribunal case on Thursday, whether it is changing the fabric of the game or not. So that's uh, that's dop- excuse me, dominating my thoughts today. I've got a podcast at 12 o'clock with Mick Warner, mm-hmm. excuse me, which we do every Tuesday. Tuesday's a bit of a lull day because it's um, the weekend's done and dusted. Monday's a massive review. Everyone wakes up on Tuesday and we go, right, let's just take a little bit of a breather. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of breath taken this week. Mm. And what time do you do you roll into AFL 360? Well, generally, well, outside COVID, which is what the previous 18 months, I'd, uh, I'd be in the office. I live here at home at Tank in the office, the Health Sun, work there all day and go straight from the office mm-hmm. for about, I don't know, 10 to 7 and get to Fox Footy Studios about 7. Um, now I'm working at home. I'll probably leave here about 6, get there about quarter to 7. Um, Interestingly, we don't, um, me and Jerry don't really talk before the show. We never tell each other what we're thinking, or very rarely. I always believe that if we're going to go live TV, that his opinion and mine opinions are going to be the, the first time we hear of them. Um, and each other's company will be, we'll be on the, um, we'll be at the desk. Um, you know, I know we just think that the, the shows, keeps the shows sort of real and live, and there's nothing, um, nothing set up. With us, um, we've got to organise our um, our guests, etc., and we've got a certain amount of topics to get through in the first twenty-two minutes of the show before we go to our first ad break. So, basically, myself and Jerry just talk non-stop for the first twenty-two minutes, and we think it will hurt the show. If I know what he's going to say, and he knows what I'm going going to say. So. Yeah, I generally just talk to the guests Tuesday. What's tonight? McClure. So I'll get there. McClure will be there. So I'll talk to the sellers for, I don't know, 20 minutes about shit and crap and whatever and footy and and um, then we get the makeup on and get dressed and, and away we go. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's the Tuesday setup when I get to fuck footy. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned that you you don't talk to Jared much about what you're going to speak about, but do you do you have a relationship outside of the show much, or is it is just just purely a professional one with with Jared? No, it's purely professional. We don't see each other. We live different lives. Jared's you know married with three kids and lives in the uh, eastern suburbs. I live by myself with a couple of, couple of dogs in the hills of Warrandyte. Um. You know, growing up, I was a played footy and coached, and you know, I was a pub guy, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's not Jared's go, but we uh, we're, we're pretty good friends. You don't just have to be uh, socialised with with people to be friends with them. I'm pretty good friends with Jared. We respect each other pretty pretty highly. We wouldn't be able to do the show for ten, eleven years that we've we've done it now if we both didn't have that opinion. So, yeah, but on, on air, I think we've got a pretty good um, a pretty good relationship. We've only had about five arguments in 11 years. That's pretty good. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. 
because, uh, you know, he, he can annoy people, as everyone knows. I'm only joking. Hey, Robbie, is it true that um, well, you were put together 10 years ago now, I think it is, but that there was a suggestion maybe it was going to be you, Damien Barrett and um, Jared all in the one show? Was that ever possible? I, I, I think that was discussed. A guy called Rod Law was running Fox Sports, Fox Footy at the time, wanted a, a nightly TV show. And, um, yeah, there's some ideas floating, floating around. And his first, I think one of his ideas, yeah, was to put Jared in the middle and myself and Barrett either side. But um, I only found out about that, I don't know, after after it was launched or I can't remember when, a year or two years or three years. I, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't remember that long ago. Would it have worked? No, not the way myself and Barrett's relationship has panned out over the years. Mm. It probably wouldn't have worked. Um, but to be honest, geez, I haven't given that thought for years, mate. Years and years. Yeah. Um, years. It really doesn't come into my thought pattern. It's sort of just been me and Jared yeah. all the way through. And Tim Hodges, the producer, and you know, Tony Dallow, the, the producer on Fox uh, on our show. Um, yeah, we've only got a pretty small crew at 360, but it's been pretty constant. We'll be back after a quick break. Life could have been a bit different for you, though, Robbo, couldn't it? Because, you know, back in, uh, I think you're a teenager still, uh, you see an advert in the Bendigo Advertiser, you're about to go to uni and become an accountant, and then you see the ad as a copy person, you apply, and the rest is history. Well, yeah, I was pretty lucky. Thank God I got got into into college in Bendigo for an accountant. My God. remember ringing them up. After I got the job, and I don't know who I spoke to, I said, "My name's Mate Robinson. I'm booked in for accounting. I'm, I'm not coming. I'm out." And that was it. Um, an advert appeared in the Bending Advertiser for a copy person. Now, a lot of old-time newspaper people will know what the copy person role was. People of today, your vintage, wouldn't have a clue. Basically, it was just the office run around. It was like the year. It was like prep before you go into into, into kindergarten. Kindergarten in journalism is um, cadetship. So I did he, you know, you in the office, just being in a newspaper office. There was no computers back then. It was, it was, it was fun. It really was. And then I got the cadetship. And um, yeah, worked at Benningo Advertiser from 95 to 85 to 90, and then nicked off overseas for a couple of, couple of years, ended up working at the Yorkshire Post in Leeds. And then I came back to Australia August 92 and got a job at the Herald Sun in August 92 and been there ever since, which is why 
29 years now. It's been a long time. Very long time. A lot of footy. A lot of kicks, marks and handballs in that time. That's right. In the 90s, when you worked there, I think you said that Mike Sheen um, was a big mentor for you and you worked closely alongside him and you saw what he went through as the chief football writer of the Herald Sun before you were given the position in, in 2012. Was there? I think it's been spoken about a time he was hassled at a pub. You went and stood up for him. Um, you said you couldn't believe the abuse he was copying and I guess similar things have happened to you since. Uh, do people literally come up to you and you know look for a fight just because of an opinion you've, you've held in the paper? Oh, that hasn't happened. How long has that happened? How many times has that? I remember the I remember the day with Mick. We're at a pub in in East Melbourne, I remember we were, and um, yeah, and this young Yahoo's calling him S and C's, and I thought, who in the hell are these folks? I didn't go up to fight them. I just went up to say, pull your heads in or whatever, and. Um, yeah, that was really not even before social media, but um, yeah, the abuse, the abuse on social media, it's, it's got to the point where it, um, my Twitter, my Twitter sort of broke down last year. It logged off, and I couldn't remember how to log on. And it was November, and to be honest, I didn't, log, I haven't logged back on. So I've gone off Twitter, and um, life's much happier. Much, much happier. Because you wake up every day and people comment on your stories or you know, opinions posted or mainly stories. And um, it was just abuse. Not all the time. Not all the time, but pretty constant. You think, God almighty. But now I don't read that or hear that. It, um, is it a mental health space? I, I don't know. Um, it's just something that... Um, you're happy to live without. Like, footy's, footy's full on and, and our work is full on and you've got opinions, you've got feature writing, you've got news and it's such a passionate sport that people just think they can say whatever, whatever they like because they reckon you say whatever you like. And um, I always thought that was a bit weird. I've got an opinion on a footy game. That means they can have an opinion whether I'm an asshole or not. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, off, off that. Abuse comes with the territory, I think, with everyone in life now who's got social media. And um, when you're covering football and you're working with Fox and working at the Health Channel, working at AW, which I do, um, seems to welcome a lot of um, feedback. And I'm, I'm happy not to get that sort of Twitter feedback. And I don't know if I'll ever go back to Twitter, mm. to be honest. How do you deal with feedback off off Twitter? Does it affect you when, when people criticise? Well, you, you, go through, you, know, you go through periods. Yeah. You, go through, you go through periods when it doesn't affect you. And then you go through periods when you think, God, it's like anyone in life. You know, it's pretty hard to keep it level all the time. And then when it broke down, I was, I've been okay with Twitter. I just block people. I, I think I blocked about 6,000 people on Twitter. And um, now, but now I'm not on it. I just don't really think about it, to be honest. It's, it's interesting. You should try it. Yeah. Do you mean? Yeah. Go off Twitter. Go off Twitter for a week. Yeah. Or two weeks. I might try it. I might. I, I reckon I was addicted to Twitter. Mm. Well, it's hard not to be, isn't it? 
It gets addictive, consuming. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm not on Twitter. It was like breaking an addiction. Yeah. And then I was thinking, am I, am I missing? What am I missing? What am I missing? I'm, I'm missing the um, uh, other journos breaking news. Um, um, and that, that that sort of hype around when a big story's broken, be by me or by someone in the Herald Sun or anyone in football and all the hype around it. But other than that, there's not much to miss, mate. Mm. There's not much to miss. That's right. And I think. Would you, you be able to break your addiction in two weeks? Would I? I reckon I could give it a shot. I could give it a shot, Robbo, but I'm going to have to share this podcast on Twitter first and then I might give it a break. What do you think? You're going to share this on Twitter. I might share this podcast on Twitter. What do you reckon? All right. Then read the comments. Yeah. I'll say, Jimmy, why are you interviewing this vlog of this guy's <laughs> asshole? All that sort of stuff. I doubt that. But I'm not the only one. I mean, every 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 football writer with a profile who writes news or offers opinion on footy, they get abused. Yeah. Every single one. So I can accept it part of society, mm. accept a part of life. Now, people say, oh, you got to wear it. You're a journo. You know, you're the scum of the earth. You're this, you're that. Maximum fact, no, no, we're not. Mm. Journos aren't. Journos are, are, are really important people in, in, in what is AFL football. Yeah. And um, when you actually give away all that abuse, in your life, you, you, you're you're very much um, you're more content. Mm. You're more content in what and in, in, in what you're writing and about what you're writing and what you offer. So, Jim, get off it. I might do that. But you, young bucks and yeah. young girls, you you wouldn't be able to live without your social media. It would be hard. I think I could do Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram might be a little bit hard. And I think Facebook. So I'm on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I remain on Facebook. Mm. I don't often on it, but I'm on it. But um, yeah, there's less. Um, it's less of a sewer. Yeah, Facebook, isn't it? Well, I think you can be more anonymous on Twitter as well. So that opens up a can of worms because a lot of people wouldn't say um, what they're saying if they could be. Um, you, you could see who that person exactly is. And, you know, a lot of the time that leaves it open for, for stupid remarks and trolling and that sort of thing. But I don't think Twitter represents what society is actually thinking all the time because not everybody is on Twitter. There's a lot of footy people who have different opinions that don't share it on Twitter. And usually outrage is the thing that trends a lot on social media. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough world when you're, when you're writing opinions, Robbo, which is why I, uh, I look up to you a lot to be able to, to, to cope with that, that sort of stuff. Have you? Did you always care what people thought of your writing or what you said? Oh, I don't. I think, of course, you do. Mm. Of course, you do at times, and 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 you're still, and you're still. If anyone was going to say, oh, "I don't care what anyone thinks," I, I don't think that's right. And actually, I'm positive that's not right. You know, you when you write a piece, you know, you could be way off the mark, and constructive feedback is good. It's good. It's good for you. Um, so you always care about what you like. What you what you do is you disseminate what, what um, how significant or how important is the feedback. 
Um, Joe Vlogs1764 at bigpond.com on Twitter. At Twitter, sorry. Um, that's an email address. But, you know, at Twitter, yeah. but, but really, who are they? So you actually start disseminating, well, they're not important. That's not important feedback. That's not important feedback. For example, if Lee Matthews rang me after I wrote a story today and he rang me and rang me, he goes, can I just talk to you about that story? I, I don't know if that's right. That's important feedback. Yeah. You know, parents, players contact me. Important feedback. Um, abusive, no-name knuckleheads. No worries. Not important feedback. Do you have a mentor or someone you, you speak to to get feedback from? No, no, no. Not mentors per se. Do you have mentors? You know, what you do is you have friends and you have really strong work colleagues. Mm. Okay? And that's, that's not just for me. That's for everyone in life. Do we have mentors? Does everyone have a mentor? You know, the older you get, you might take young people under your wing and give them advice, and they'll probably say, you're a, no, that's a mental role. But generally, I think that your mentors are your, are your friends and your, and your work colleagues who you are constructive, supportive, um, offer ideas, are creative with you. Um, and, and often it's a, at the end, your name might be on something, but you know, often you, you've bounced ideas off, you know, key people in your in your work life. So I don't know if the word's mentors, but sometimes there's um, there's good guidance around you, mm. and I think we all need, no matter the age, um, need pretty good guidance around you. The, the role you have as the chief football writer of the Herald Sun is is a very significant role because you set the agenda. Everyone reads what you write. Uh, is that what motivates you, the kind of significance of the role, or what gets you through and motivates you? Do you know, I very rarely think about the significance of the role. Very rarely. But when there's big issues, I think it's important for the Chief Football Writer and the Herald Sun to take a strong position on what you know the topic of the day is. Topic of today right now is going to be David McCain. Is Harold going to take a strong position? Yes, we are. We're organising that this morning. So you don't forget, or do you forget? I don't. I don't know that. I don't wake up every day and say, "I'm the chief football writer of the Herald Sun. I must do this." But there is days when I wake up and saying, "Right, I am the chief football writer." What am I and what are we at the Herald Sun going to do about this issue? Um, it's a really big issue and, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands of people who follow footy and, and read, read the paper and watch Fox footy, which is part of News Corp now. Um, but being, being good providers of content, and that be news or, or opinion or, or, or something like that, um, it's funny. I mean, say I would just mention the word mentors. I was talking to Mike about this many, many years ago. I can't remember when. You, you, you've got an obligation. You've got an obligation to your newspaper, right? But 
in, in the role of chief football writer and people of the age who have had this position might think they're the same as us. I don't know. But you've also got an obligation to the game. Okay? Now, the obligation of the newspaper can sometimes be slightly different to the obligation to the game. But, but when they both combine, it's, it's really strong content. And I'll explain it this way. I mean, newspapers want stories. We've got to fill a paper every day. We wake up every day. We've got a blank newspaper. We've got to fill it every day. And it's got to be filled by 7 o'clock that night, day after day after day after day um, on football. <clears throat> so we need content. But while we supply content, we've also got to supply, which and the content could be from uh, trades, contracts, which really, really gathers a lot of um, um, lot of interest from from the punter, who your club might pick up, who they might recruit, who's a free agent, who are we going after. People are quite tantalised about how they can improve their team and who they might lose, and as soon as they're going to lose someone, they say, right, who are we going to get back? So, <clears throat> so that's a really, really big part of it. And sometimes there's issues on on violence in the game, on stamping it out which might go against um, a large majority of, of players or, or concussion. People go, oh, it's a tough sport. No, no, no. I, I, I think um, some senior roles in football, we, we, we've, got to, we've got to have an obligation to the game to make sure, to try and ensure um, the game's in good hands. I mean, it's questioning the AFL on what they do, questioning clubs what they do. Um because we all like the game. Everyone likes the game. Every single person. And um, we all get something out of the game, be it supporter and working up the AFL club land. And the AFL likes to say, you know, they're only the custodians. And I'm only the custodian of the position at the paper. You know, someone will take over my job like I took over from me. But we've got to try... And, and ensure that oh, the right word is here, but we've got to we've got to we've got to keep pushing the goodness of the game. That, that's what we do because the game survives and everyone else moves on. So we're all of us have got a role in in trying to push the goodness of the game. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, it does. And, and you speak about that obligation to the game and a responsibility as well. So there's a responsibility sometimes, um, you know, to write things maybe you don't always want to. Has there ever been a story you've had to write that's maybe harmed a friendship or a relationship with someone? Yeah, maybe? countless. 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 Yeah. Countless. Yeah. Did, do you ever regret them or is that the obligation and the responsibility? Yeah, no, sometimes you regret them. Yeah. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you think, well, I had no alternative. Because um, that's your that's your job. That's what you're employed to do. So yeah, sometimes in footy you can you can you make a lot of good friends in footy, and you can lose a lot of good friends. Um, because often they said, you know, it's a contact sport on the field, and sometimes it often it's a contact sport off it. But um, yeah, that's that's the downside. But that's love, Robo. You, you asked Nick Cox last week, you said to him, what's the best thing about being a footy player? What is the best thing about having your role, Robbo? What's 
the best thing about having my role. And I'll answer as, as generally as, as cliche as <laughs> the best thing. The best thing overall is working in this game. And everyone working in this game would say the same thing. Because um, it's fun. The best thing about this game is that it's fun. And there's not time, there's times where it's not fun. Okay? It's a, it's a funny thing, footy. We play every weekend and during the week spent uh, writing about other issues in footy and people in footy. And then the weekends can't be write about the performances on, uh, on the field. It's like the week split up. Into into two categories. Let's write about a performance, and then we write about everything else for the other four days. Um, I've always wondered if the AFL had their choice if they could play games like last year. Last year, we were during COVID lockdown, we had games on you know nearly every night, yeah. every second night. Yeah. Now there's not a lot of major issues getting written about because everyone's writing about the um, actual performances. You know that, that this is footy; it's just all encompassing. I don't know if I've answered your question. The best thing about the best thing is you wake up every day and you think, right, what is going to happen today? Yeah. Then adrenaline rush. Well, we're going to adrenaline rush every day. You got to. We've got a. We've got a. Um, we've got a deadline every day yeah. in newspapers. Every day, I've been. I've been typing away four minutes to deadline. And your heart's racing. You think, God, how's the reading? And uh, you send it to the editors and stuff. Um, they, yeah, yeah, you do get heart rate. Try, try deadline running after a, a one-point game mm. between Geelong and Hawthorne at the MCG. And a Friday night, the game finishes at 25-10. You've got to file by 11. And you've got to capture the moment, what it means or the moments in the game, what it means uh, all in the space of 30 paragraphs and get it in on time. Pressure, maybe. This is what it is. You jump in the car and you're leaving the MCG, all the fans are left, and you jump in the car and you think, God, I left that out, I left that out. You're listening to talk about radio, driving home, and people are ringing up, yeah, no, I got that, got covered, got that covered, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, largely it's fun, Jim. Yeah, largely it's fun. That's the best part about it. I love that, Robo. I end off with with every guest the quick uh, thirty second, ten quick questions to end off with, and you say the first thing that comes to your head. But I had a one quick question. If I know you're running on a schedule, you talk about deadlines. I wanted to ask you quickly about what the the actual footy media environment is like. Is it is it collegiate? Do you mix and get along, or is there a lot of personality clashes? Because that really interested me. Behind the scenes, what it's really like. Oh, a bit of both. It's collegiate. I think it was, used to be more collegiate than what it is now. Yeah. Um, so when I first started, mate, there was three radio stations covering football and two newspapers, Inside Footy magazine, and that was about it. You know, everyone, the print people were pretty close or close enough. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's just sort of spread everywhere. So many people, I think it's. Not as close as it was. Maybe the personalities involved haven't have made it like that. We try and lay down our guns sometimes, but even the media snipe at media. 
Um, no, actually, not as close as it, close as it was. No, 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 no. All right, the fun stuff, Robbo. Ten quick questions, mate. First thing that comes to your head, all right? Yep. Your favourite food? Favourite food? Um, bag bulk. <laughs> bag bulk, classic. Favourite beer? Corona. Corona. Favourite person to interview? Kevin Cheating. What's the latest you've ever been to arrive for AFL 360? 728. <laughs> Two minutes to spare. Uh, your favourite song? Hurricane Bob Dylan. Nice luck, Bob Dylan. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Uh, small Greek island. Would you rather be stranded on a desert island with Eddie Maguire or Jeff Kennett? I thought you were supposed to, this was supposed to be fun, Jim. <laughs> Uh, well, they're both got their posies. I don't know. I think they're doing single malt. I think single malt. I mean, Jeff could have some nice single malt whiskies together. Yeah. Um, That'd be all right. I would, no, I'd probably say Jeff. Jeff, nice. Your favourite player of all time? <sighs> My favourite player of all time. So now you're asking me a question about where I was at that time of my life. Mm-hmm. Growing up as a young fella, I backfreshed it, okay? So growing up as a young fella and listening to the radio and watching TV, uh, Tim Watson was my favourite player. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, then got, into Mal- got to Melbourne and covering footy and Gary Ablett Sr. was my favourite player. And then I'd go to James Heard for eight years riding in the Herald Sun. So I knew James as a friend. And then Heard, you know, Heard was playing for Essendon. And so he was probably my, my favourite player. Um, but what you do in my job, you're really lucky to meet a lot of players. Like I, I remember being absolutely sodded by the brilliance of Anthony Cuthiti for about 20 games through 99, 2000, thinking, wow. And he's a wonderful person, Cuda. And then I look back at life now and I think, God, oh, Andrew McLean, Michael Long. Michael Long is one of my favourite players. Actually, Michael Long is my favourite player. Michael Long. Michael Long. And it's not just because of a player. Who he, what he did to me as a person and um. Yeah, Michael Long. Love that. Yep. Uh, last two. What makes you angry, Robbo? Uh, not, not a lot these days. I'll be honest. Not a lot. I try not to get angry. That's good. That's the Twitter, isn't it? You're off Twitter, and life's changed. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't get angry a lot That's these days. But what makes me angry? <laughs> Get a lot of traffic. Yeah, no, I was going to wave back to you or acknowledge that you've done a good deed for him on the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't give you the wave. The wave. Yeah, so that's how I'm all right then, aren't I? That, that's what makes me really angry. Yeah, not much. That's not good, much. Robert. That's good because I remember when I interviewed you all that, whatever, six, seven years ago, and you used to say you wake up every morning 
scroll through Twitter and it pissed you off. So it's good. Get off Twitter. That's the message. Um, last yeah, one. Yeah, it absolutely is the message, mate. Yeah. Absolutely. Last one, mate. Newspapers, radio, or television. If you could choose to do only one of them for the rest of your career, what would it be? Newspapers. Newspapers. Yep. Where it all started. Um, yeah. It's where your heart is, I reckon. It's where your heart is. Don't get me wrong, radio and TV, they're fun. Mm. They are, they're fun. And that, that immediacy of, you know, dealing with an issue or dealing with people um, is, um, you know, that, that's, that gets the heart rolling as well. But you know, we do a lot of interviews in newspapers that don't get filmed. Mm. You know, which if they were filmed, uh, they would be just... Stunning to look at. I, I remember, I remember going to Nick Revolt's house to do the first interview after Maddie's death. Mm. And we're sitting in his kitchen. And it was just me and him and his, and his wife and his, his mum and dad. I think they were upstairs and they just left us in the in the um, kitchen there. And I knew Rui, I knew Rui pretty well. And man, he started crying, and then I'm crying, and he's crying, and they would stop and laugh. And, and then I'm you know, asking questions, and he would cry, and I'd be looking at him, and he'd look up, and he had tears coming down, and I'd cry. And, and I think, God, my. And then it was all over. You walk out of the house, and you say goodbye to the family. Well. Man, what was that like? Then what was that? Mm. And then you've got this incredible responsibility to be able to write it in a way that reflected exactly what the interview was and and what the what what Maddie was and what the content was about. Mm. So there's different kinds of pressure there. But um, uh, how we on that? Interviews, interviews, TV. Uh, uh, Anyway, um, right it's Tuesday, whatever it is. Yeah, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your time, Robbo. Uh, that was a lot of fun, mate. Uh, you're an absolute champion. I'll watch you tonight on AFL 360, and I'll continue reading all your stuff. Thank you so much. Good stuff, Jimmy. How, how was that? That was that was pretty real, wasn't it? That was perfect, mate. That was awesome. That was awesome. I didn't think you'd uh, give me that much. That was great. Well, if we're gonna do it, if you're gonna do anything, mate. Do it properly. You're going to do it properly. If people are going to listen, you can't be flipping. If people are going to listen, you listen. Have a chat. No, that was brilliant. There you go. Thanks, Robbo. Take it easy. All right, Jim. Super. Bye-bye. All right, fellas, here we go. What an interview with Robbo. How good was that? He gave us a lot of time, more than we expected. Boys, I hope you enjoyed that. It is time for my second favourite part of the show. It is the Monday Review Panel on a Tuesday, and I'm ready to introduce Nick Gullimino and Gordon Hunter-Meredith. Gordo, how are you? I'll ask you first. Not too bad, man. How are you doing? I'm very good. Did you enjoy the interview with Robbo? Oh, I loved it. Good. I love some Robbo time. So. Nico, you love Robbo. 
I do, I do, and uh, maybe not as good as your uh, glowing, wonderful uh, round recap. Oh, did you like that? Yeah, I, I love the uh, the classy reference to Tasmania. I saw you say, I saw you shaking your head, and I knew you were disappointed. Nico, it's a bit rated but anyway, Nico, uh, who was your hero? Do I normally go with you first? Normally, uh, with no, Nico, no, take it right. away. Take who was your hero this week? Uh, Scott Pendlebury, Pendlebury, Jimmy. Yeah, um, you guys, you two, last yeah. week said that Collingwood would get up. We and did. We did. You went for the spiritual take that they'll get off a bucks, and they yeah. did. And the player to carry the boys over the line was Scott Pendlebury. I thought mm-hmm. um, he had thirty-one touches, and twenty of them were contested. So yeah. he was the catalyst behind it all. And he hasn't had a great year, Pendlebury, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But he saved his best performance for the biggest occasion of all. And yeah, uh, it was a great. Um, captain's performance by him it was and he hadn't spent a lot of time in the midfield because i think bucks did reveal a couple of weeks ago he'd had a finger injury he got it stuck in one of the players mouths i don't remember which play it was now but he hadn't spent no it's true he hadn't spent a lot of time <laughs> in the crazy. midfield um, because of his finger injury but he got chucked in the guts yesterday and that was a a gutsy performance i absolutely it loved it from collingwood and we did we tipped them last week we thought it would happen i didn't have the balls to actually tip them on my tipping competition but i thought they'd win and it was great to see and as i said in the intro Nathan it was Buckley, written in the stars. It was. They deserve nothing less. But to show that performance, and you kind of go as a Collingwood supporter, well, where where was that all season? And they didn't. And, and the game style as well it was more direct. They're playing faster. They did take they did take possession and control the tempo a bit, but they did it not as slow. And there was there was uh, you know room to move up forward, which it was a, it was a good game to watch for a Collingwood supporter. I thought it was great. These are a lot of what if questions, though, as you said. Like, what if they just showed that all year? What if like. Yeah, do we actually really need to sack Bucks? Actually, is it Bucks the issue? A lot of questions. Did he actually walk? Was he pushed? Was he tapped? As TJ would say. He was sacked. So then why, do, why does it take a sacking or whatever you, you want to call it? Why does it what? take that to get that performance out oh, of the no. boys? Well, that's that's the struggle, isn't it, Nick? And I said, I've always said this. I said to you a lot. that 99 degrees water, it's just hot water. 100 degrees, it's boiling. You need that 1%. And that 1% was Bucks was leaving. We need to farewell him. Let's put everything on the line. Let's play this grand final for Bucks. That's what they did. It's hard to do that every week. We know that. It's almost well, impossible. It's, it's almost like, sorry to drag this on further than what it should no, be, but um, do it. It, it's a bit like Carlton and North Melbourne when they last sacked their coaches. Yeah. Um, and it then, often brings change, doesn't it? It does. Immediate, immediate and David reaction. Teague brought in uh, as the interim coach. Uh, yeah, he brought in a bit more freedom, and then he got hired because of it. But hmm. um, and same with Reece Shaw at North Melbourne. So, uh, did did they were were they worthy of the job? I don't want to be too critical of them, but well, you've, um, you've publicly said they're not worthy of the job. And you, well, and I mean, they, they got stand- hired based on um, just what they produced during that interim period. Yeah, in a short period of time. And and it's yeah. almost like this, you know. The, the, I feel like the players are going more off uh, adrenaline, momentum rather than... The emotions, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think emotions, we've seen that emotions. In other sports, like the Premier League's renowned for the, for the mop-up artists that prevent you from getting relegated. Yeah. But then when they try and coach or manage for the whole year or a whole season, they kind of fail. And so the question can be asked, is it actually the fact that... You know, Allardyce is good at coaching relegation sides or is it just that you don't want to get relegated and the manager just got sacked? Yeah, well, there's been studies into it and how it motivates people. For example, it's like a a change of environment. So sometimes you'll notice if you change 
where you're sitting, your desk, you put it somewhere else. For that first week, you'll be, you'll be re-energized mm. most of the time. You'll be re-energized. It's a new start. You're feeling fresh, and that's what can happen. That's that's the, it's a similar thing when a new coach comes in. It's a new voice. You've got a new game plan. You feel refreshed. So I got to start. It's going to be interesting. So who's who's coming in now for Collingwood? Robert Harvey. Yeah. Robert Harvey's, and that was the worst. So if thing he comes in, actually, if he comes but, in yeah. and wins the next eight or nine games or however long's left. Does he get hired? Well, based on... Probably not. Well, well, well because not. you're looking back at Ray Shaw and David yeah. Teague, that's, well, and they're to. using them you as an example. To. But yeah. uh, I guess it, it just depends on who's on offer. Uh, Gordo, who was your hero? My hero was uh, one for the purists. It was Josh Kennedy. Mm. And mostly because as, uh, Adam, Sen- as, as no, instance, Adam Sensor came out after the game and basically said, you know what? We let our, we let our forwards kick goals training. Stuff the sports science, <laughs> yeah. stuff the kicking caps. Yeah, no, I saw that was good yeah. from Adam Simpson. He yeah, came out no. and said, if Josh Kennedy wants to kick a thousand times at training, we're going to let him kick a thousand yeah. times. And he's like, he's taken that shot from that position at our training facility a thousand times. And that's why he was always going to kick it. Kick four straight for the game. And it's, you know, people say, yeah. well, we, need, we need the key forward back. We need pure goal kicking back. And it... You know, he's keeping the tradition alive, Josh Kennedy. So. He is. And they, they kicked just one goal from open play West Coast. All of their other goals came from set shots. And it proved they're a straight kicking side, aren't they? They did it against Essendon the week before. I think they were nine straight at half time. Mm. They were so accurate in front of the sticks. And that's what cost Richmond in the end. Richmond uh, lacked composure. That was the key word in Dimmer's press conference. Composure, composure, composure. And uh, they put the pressure on by converting, and it was an unbelievable kick. As soon as he marked it, I thought, he's going to kick it. He is it was made, a great game. He's made for these moments, isn't he, Josh Kennedy? Well, I think yeah. the Eagles are in general. I think that's the, they, because they're such a stop-start tempo football team, they can just take their moments and, and kick them. Dom Shade yeah. against Collingwood in the grand final. Kennedy here. Does it always work? And do we get sucked in? Because we love the nostalgia of it all. Do we love the nostalgia of kick mark football? Probably too much because you know it hasn't worked since that day in September yeah. in 2018. Well, so. it suits their, their personnel. That's the thing because they have got a lot of tools. Um, they've usually got good footwork, and they can usually spread the field well. They cu- they stopped Richmond's running game in the second half. That was that was what got them back into it. So it was well executed by Adam Simpson. And uh, yeah, the Tigers they need a reset. The buy comes at a good time, Nico. I know you're happy with the Tigers losing, but uh, it was just almost what, my highlight of the week. It would have been 2019. They're in exactly the same position at round 13. So look out, Nicholas. <laughs> uh, what was your highlight, Nico? Well, you're going to call me biased, oh, uh, but I can't lie. This this was my genuine highlight of the of weekend. It well, be. it did happen Friday night, it's but the I was of the year. I reckon. Oh, it, it, it was. It was. It was the performance of the year from the mm. Mighty Hawks. Oh, even even last year, I, I can't remember the last time they played. I can't remember the last such time good smiled. football. I know. Tell yeah. me about it, mate. Um, yeah, from from the first bounce right up until the end, they played consistent. They played four quarters. They played tough, hard, rugged football that I haven't seen since the premiership side. Like it was, um, Jeez, yeah, it, it was just it, it was contested footy, the tears and it was out, unsociable. That's what, I, that's, what, that's what I like. Yeah, unsociable hawks. They were vicious. Yeah, and they've set the benchmark now. This is a blueprint. Like I don't care if they don't win another game for the rest of the year, but if they can bring that intensity mm. every week, contested ball in the middle. Is that what you want? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And like you said in your wonderful round recap, Jim. Mm. Uh, John Newcomb, the newcomer. Yeah, the newcomer. Comes in on his debut, and I, I've watched him on Box Hill, and I knew he was a contested Four t- 14 beats. tackles, mate, on debut. And he, yeah, that's it. He set the standard, allowed Mitchell and O'Meara to free up a bit, become more damaging, mm. and yeah, it was it was great to watch from a Hawthorne supporter's you point You know what view. annoyed me a little bit was that 
Clarko, and I, I wrote this yesterday, that Clarko, it's Clarko genius. Oh, good on Alistair for what he's done. Give credit to the players. I mean, it's always him when, mm. when Hawthorne win. It's always Clarko's in the spotlight. Give it to the players because nobody, nobody would have expected Segler to come in. What did he have? 11 clearances, right? 11 he was clearances, a, it was a late, 20 disposals. 20 disposals. He's a late inclusion because um, Reeves did his ankle, didn't he, in the warm-up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you know, and, and Frosty to keep Buddy quiet, Tom Mitchell to take it personally, what was talked about him during the week and kicking mm-hmm. a goal and having influential possessions. Give credit to the players. I mean, it's not the first time Clarko oh, said. That's the media for you, mate. This is not the first time Clarko's gone. Let's con- let's uh, concentrate on the contest, boys. And yeah, it worked on the weekend. But give credit to the players for once because that was a brilliant. And just win. on the media, have you noticed how the narratives changed on Hawthorne now? It's, like last week, ch- they had the worst <laughs> list in the AFL. They had no future. Look nothing how you've going changed. for them. Two weeks ago, he agreed with that. No, I did not. <laughs> I've always said that there are players there. They just need to get games. Yeah, and they are. They are getting the narrative games. changes. It's funny because after that win, they were talking the next day. Oh, you know, CJ, what happened? That Sicily comes back. They're going to be unstoppable. The Hawks in the back line. I know. It's it takes one week is a long wins. time. In Speaking footy. of narratives changing, then let's leave the Swans. They're currently sixth. Does that is, they, that, a, is that an embarrassing loss for the Swans? Is that does that nullify their finals no, potential? No, they needed complacent. a buy. They needed a buy. Big. They were, they're coming off the back of what two six day breaks or something. They were they looked tired. They were craving and for the buy. I reckon they yep. needed it. But yeah, like you, you do. It's maybe it's the wake up call they needed. It's not going to come easy. You can't roll into a game like that and expect it to happen if a team's going to be contested against yeah. you. And but I haven't changed my mind on them. Uh, Gordo, what was your highlight? My highlight was uh, Geelong proving me right. That they are going to be up there pointing the end of the year. The the old cats with new tricks. And this is the interesting. We talked about the the media, which is ironic because we are also in the media. Mm. And uh, everyone else, though, not us, everyone else has been <laughs> talking boys. about how how uh, Geelong, you know, they can't do it against bottom sides. They play boring footy against crap teams. But they, but what you pointed out mm. uh, very well in your great article, Great Hate Debate, oh, check it out you. on Footy Live, <laughs> is that they are exceptional against the top eight sides. Yeah. And so who would you rather be? Every year, poor Adelaide struggles against top eight sides, dominates the bottom ten. Yeah. Geelong basically circles all the top eight games and goes, we will win all these games and we will play excellent football and we will work out how to beat these teams at their own game or whatever doesn't suit their style. And the rest of the games, we'll just win because we're better, but we don't really care. We'll play some crap footy against... Uh, against Collingwood, and we'll, and we'll you know we'll keep Hawthorne in the game, and we'll we'll do all these sort of things. Yeah. But what's more, finals proof, and then that is that is the game we saw on the weekend. Geelong proving to themselves and to the rest of the competition that they are genuine top four contenders, and they are absolutely a sniff for the premiership this year. They are. Uh, there's a question on that later on by a listener as well on the cats, but they are the chameleon cats. I said they adapt to different environments. They adapt to different teams. They remind me a little bit of Juventus. I know people are going to oh, I was going to say they me. remind me a bit of uh, the New England Patriots where oh, they, well, they really go. do change week to week. <laughs> well, and so just, they, would, they would circle their opposition to be like, how do we beat this team today as opposed to what is our brand, which everyone's obsessed about. Yeah, so no, they are definitely contenders. That was a brilliant game. And I, I feel like an absolute idiot for tipping Port because they are nowhere. We knew this was happening. It was just the fact that it was off the bye. And we go, oh, Geelong off the, off the bike come. And when you have a 10-year sample size, that's right. But you got to trust the sample but size. But also, what about the, the what they had to go through to get there? Yeah. The flights, they were sick on the plane. It was so, so much turbulence. They had to sleep under tables. They had the worst conditions possible. They go out there and win that. That's a brilliant win. That Take your hat Which off. leads well into, the, into some low lights because you can't use that as an excuse. That's right. Nico, what was your low light from this weekend? There was a couple of them that I went for – Rio versus Gold Coast. Just the game in general. 
Assassin's Creed. We did. It, it, was, it was the worst game of the year. Let's put it worst that way. Worse Collingwood Geelong? Yeah. This okay. was bad. Yep. This was really bad because at least there's stars to watch. Were in you Collingwood working on this game? Geelong. No, I wasn't. Oh, I was at home God. watching it. Oh. Thank God. Um, but yeah, Freo Gold Coast. Yeah. All right. We spoke a bit about Freo last week. How there's, they've always had an issue with injuries. Mm. And I'll tell you what else they have issues with. Scoring goals. Yeah, which is what I said which last week. Which has been happening for a few years now. Has been. Has um, been. And how do they change that? They, uh, the weekend they're playing Gold Coast, who are an out-of-form side. And although they won, well done to them. The Dockers won. It wasn't impressive, was it? It wasn't. No. It was hard to watch. Hard to watch. Skills were bad. Shocking. And it was a perfect day for footy as well. It was great conditions. It was just It was horrible football. At, at the end of the day, though, why are we so upset about like one game a week that's bad. I'll tell you why is because we had the bye weekend, so there was only one game. This to always watch at that happens time. every year. Every <laughs> year, schedule. every year, like a flag goes in the sand. It's like you know what's bad? Crap, footy is bad. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, but but it always it's, happens. Yeah, I know, but it's consistent with Freo. No when, one, when no have one, you ever no watched one a game with Freo? Like, no one saw Gold Coast Freo on the fixture and went, "Oh, better clear my schedule. Better tell my missus I can't go out for." Well, brunch. it was the only That's game true. on Super Saturday. But these guys have paid a lot of money to produce a, a decent. Product, yeah, and then they don't, and you're disappointed when there's no alternative either. There was nothing. Exactly. You're watching yeah. that there's game. There's meant to be five games on Saturday. There was one during the day, and then one at night. So yeah, we had well, no other choice. We had no other choice but to sit through that. Um, it was a good sleeping tablet, though. I had a nice nap during Saturday <laughs> afternoon's game. What was your low light, Gordon? It's the Saints' slow march to hell for mine. And so, you know, Geelong went through the same thing going to Adelaide. Yep. St Kilda used the same excuses. They let their players get barraged in the media about actually going home and spending time with their family. And mm. for, I didn't, they didn't really do enough around that to protect the players, especially because St Kilda loves protecting their players from, you know, headlines and things like that. Would have thought that criticism, they could have done more to protect their players. And then obviously they went there. They looked good. Early doors, half time. You're like, that's game over. St Kilda's using this adversity, overcoming it. And then they just left. They just yep. left the field. They left, didn't they? They gave up. That was, Again. Yeah. And it's not the first time they've given up this year. No. And this is a side that the start of the year were like talking about finals. They were on the same page as Melbourne. Yeah. At the start of the season. Everyone was saying this is the year of St Kilda and Melbourne. Yeah, St Kilda and Melbourne. Doggies and St Kilda. Yep. Doggies as well. And it's like they're nowhere near it. No. They have completely misread their situation or they've wasted their situation. Either or, you don't do what you did, bring in the players, setting up your team that way. And then perform like this. I've got nothing less to say. I've been trying to stay positive about the Saints all year. You've been bashing me for it, which is fair enough too, because they they produce something like that. I said it was a, it's an emotional thing, isn't it? It's a mental thing. And it's, it's not scary the quality when your coach gives up on you after the game. Well, well. I've never seen Brett Ratton so broken, so distraught after a game. It was it was like somebody had died. The, the, the feeling... Well, their season had room. died. The That's season died. Happened. They did. And, and he even admitted it. It'd have to take something incredible. I think he used the words or unbelievable mm. to like make Like St. playing four quarters of football. Their windows... In, next year is the, is the chance. They need to... The rest of the year's over. But it is it is very, very sad. Um, do you think he feels so, let down by those players going yeah. home? Which leads into my next question. What did you think of Caro's comments? Oh, Nico. I didn't put on the rundown, so this is my fault. But Dario did ask this question, okay. and we'll get straight to it. Dario Casale, thank you for writing in. He said, what do you boys think of Caro's comments about St Kilda players, uh, Membry and Ross? Disgusting. Oh. Wow. Go. All right, say your opinion. Disgusting. Mate, What's disgusting? Caro, as a mother, 
she she should know better than everyone. And mm. she's always going on, banging on about boys' clubs in the media. And then she goes and does this to someone who's putting family first ahead of football, ahead of his career, which is what all three of us would do. Yep. Everyone, I think, with a heart would do. Um, you don't know their personal situation. So, mm. yeah, I, I thought it was a very odd take from... Caroline Wilson. Yeah, I was disappointed. So just so, for some background, uh, Seb Ross and um, Tim Membry both left the hub prior to this game to be with their family. So I think Seb Ross, uh, his wife gave birth to twins about five weeks ago and Tim Membry's wife is expecting. So they both went back. So Caro's point was she's obviously spoken to um, officials at St Kilda. She's done the research and asking them their opinion. They've obviously... Um, gone back to her to say they were disappointed. They tried to make the boys stay. They were kind of saying, we understand, but it's not an emergency. We'd prefer you stay for one last game. They decided to go back um, and she had a go at them. Uh, I don't think that's on either. I think you can't make comments on national TV about somebody putting their family first before. And I think we were kind of reminded on the weekend, even if you watch European football on the weekend and you saw um, uh, Ericsson, um, collapse on the field and then we saw on Monday we were reminded with Neil Danaher and the M&D cause that there's there's much more to life than football. Now they don't know, the, she doesn't know the emotional state of the partners. She doesn't know how hard they're going through in lockdown to look after twins that were just born. She doesn't know how Tim Rembry's wife is going by herself um, while he's away and she's expecting. So they made that call as leaders of the club, as as uh, good husbands to go back. I don't know if they're married, but good husbands or partners to go back and look after their family. And she's having a go at them on national TV. I didn't like it either. And we saw through the documentary last year that was on Amazon about how the narrative from coaches about privilege. It's just like if we're here in lockdown, we're actually the privileged ones that, you know, our family situation allows us to go off and play this yeah. game and so we have to put on a show. So that that's kind of it. Like losing two players is tricky, but you can't blame them for the loss because you know every team has injuries, plethora of injuries. You just you get the job done. So like they did the right thing. If anything, like the club should be like kind of heralding that we have a culture that puts family first, that it cares about each other, and we'll just fill the gaps. Yeah. We'll just work it out. So publicly, they made it. They said that the club was all for it. They accepted it, no problems. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Caro's gone digging, and the club are not happy that those players mm. left. And what she was trying to say is that there is something wrong at St Kilda that the players aren't sticking on there. If it was a grand final, Kane Corn said this as well, if it was a grand final, they would have stayed. Um, but the fact is, it, it wasn't. it's not a grand final. It's not a grand final. And but also, if a grand final doesn't involve you having to stay there for... Infinity, well, like exactly. there's no there's no exactly. cap on this. Well, that's there's no right. Outbreak, that, that's, they can't come back. But the thing, yeah, exactly. Because if you can you can imagine that there's so much uncertainty going on, isn't there? Mm. That there could be a chance that they've gone, they've got to fly, and to, they're locked there, and they're locked there, or they can't get back into Melbourne, or that you know, there's so many uncertainties. They made the call. I think we should respect it. Absolutely, that's my take. He has another question, and and Gordo basically answered this already. He said, "Did Geelong become the flag favourites on the weekend?" Now, for me personally. I've still, I still believe in Melbourne. My flag favourite is Richmond. Uh, let's be honest. I don't, I don't even give a crap that what people say. I'm still back in the Tigers. <laughs> yeah. Out of those teams, I've always believed in in Geelong. At this since the start, when Nick was bagging them about the way they were playing, I still believed in them. I, oh, I always did. I've got them on par right now with Melbourne. That's my take. I Order. reckon who the team that has the best like uh, type A football, like their identity football or whatever, is Melbourne. Like they're playing – like their style of football is the best style of football at the moment. It's the strongest style. But Geelong is the team I would back to break down any other team in the competition. Yeah. So you, 
but Geelong goes and they did it. They do it all the time. So they go. They went into the Richmond game last year in the grand final, trying to beat Richmond. They don't have a. They don't win games. They beat you at a at a game, and so that's a, that's a really tricky place to win by. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say that um, Geelong's game can't really stack up against Melbourne's game or Richmond's game. They've tried it in the past. I think Melbourne play a very similar style to. Well, Richmond. they beat Richmond this year. They Geelong. did this year, but a lot of teams have beaten Richmond this year, That's to be true. fair. And Melbourne's, I still, I, the, the Collingwood result doesn't um, affect my um, yeah. opinion on Melbourne at the moment. But, yeah, I still think they're the best team in the competition. And when they've got their game going, uh, I think they're almost unstoppable. I don't That's think Geelong can Hey, quickly, Craig Jennings, who was his assistant at Melbourne, he's a former, he's a, he's a respected um, analyst in the game. He's always said that Chris Scott is the best match day coach um, because he can change things, flip things around. He does late changes. He does this and that. Do you think it's Simon Goodwin? Because we've seen a couple of times when Melbourne have been down, it's kind of like, let's do the same thing, um, just better, which is great. He's been able to do that. But does he lack the ability of maybe flicking the magnets around or producing that special I'd something? say so, but because it depends finals, who they play against. Yeah. The worst case scenario for Melbourne is to play Geelong in the grand final this year because you'd back Chris Scott to do something. Like he always does mm. and make it at least a close game, closer yeah. than probably probably it should be. Mm. But like Melbourne versus Doggies in the grand final, I'm tipping Melbourne. Yep. No yeah, you don't really see a plan B from Melbourne, do you? But well, that's the thing. Their plan A's worked so well. Only a couple of times it's yeah, worked it. down, but they haven't really flipped things around. Um, yeah. So wait and watch. And they probably and they probably say we don't need one. Yeah. Like we're that's it. Yeah. Um, Nathan Weller he tweeted in. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, seriously. Should we just move the game to tag or touch football or maybe netball rules would work better? The fact that David McKay incident is being sent to the tribunal is beyond a joke. Hashtag give me a spell. Hashtag the gym session. Boys, uh, what do we make of this? <laughs> what do we make? Someone's going to blow up here because so, I know there's different opinions in this room. Well, we had a little... It's interesting. Okay. It's interesting because it's like, did he do anything wrong? And the answer is no. no like he no went, he went for the ball. But, like, I've heard other ex-players, and, like, Levitch came out and said, like, he got suspended for laying a really, like, outrageous smother because he, like, basically just, like, charged 40 metres and that's, like, you, you on camera, it looked like he tried to kill the bloke. It was, like, a spear tackle. And he's, like, it was a smother that turned into a spear tackle. This is, like, getting for the ball that turned into a pretty significant bump. But, like, what do you do? If he gets three weeks... You, what do you do? I, I, what I, do you do? Nico, b- before you go, because I have a feeling that you want him to get suspended, I'll say I don't think that's a suspension. That is a football act. He's charging for the ball. Since in Auskick, we're taught hit the contest hard, hit the ball hard, make a statement. He went through to collect the ball at the last minute, millisecond. He pulls his arm in to protect himself, which is an instinct, and it made connection with, with the jaw. Okay, He didn't mean to hurt the bloke. And the thing is, you're playing a contact sport, Injuries happen. We can't prevent all injuries. It, it just happens in football. The fact is, if this is suspended, players are going to be confused about what they can do and there's not going to be, you know, as many, you know, you can't just say, I'm going to hit the contest. There's going to be players waiting on the outside of packs. Do I go in? Do I not go in? James Hurd always said this when I, re- I read his biography and he said it from when he was uh, younger. He said he was always taught, the harder you go, the less likely you are to get injured because when you go in timidly or second guess yourself, you're more likely to get hit or hurt someone with the wrong technique. You attack the ball hard and that's the best way to go about the game. And I've always believed that and I hope he doesn't get suspended. You are right, Jimmy. We did learn that in Oz Kick and mm-hmm. playing footy, but I think that's what they got. That's that's what they want to change. 
they want to change that um, perception that you need to go in hard for the ball because, look, a footy career lasts 10 years at best, 10, 15 years at best. The rest of your life is the rest of your life after that. So they want to erase concussion and, you know, it, it has to come from changing football acts. So, yes, the bump has always been a part of football, but I think um, the way he approached the contest can be tweaked and and Hunter Clark, who broke his jaw, that could have been avoided, I believe. And I, I think Chris Scott summed it up well on AFL 360 last night. It, it, it's a small price to pay getting a two- or three-week suspension for the message it helps to erase concussion, for broken jaws, broken whatever. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it <laughs> when we're talking about the grand scheme of things and what's great for the game going forward, look um, – cop the suspension and hopefully it changes the way people approach those contests. And I respect sorry, I respect your opinion. I don't agree with it, but I will say this is can the AFL change the rules on the run? Because that's never been they've said if you elect to bump, um, you're culpable. He didn't elect to bump. He elected to attack the ball. And we can't have this thing where it's it's only it's not the act now, it's it's the um the no, but charging charging 20 metres at full pace to a contest where there's bodies but and there's heads over been, the ball. I, I understand, that Nico, is, but it, has, it's dangerous. Can they change the rules halfway through the season, the interpretation? No, not, not the, the MRO rules. sends this straight to the tribunal, ungraded. Then they listen to social media back, uh, backlash. They release a statement and grade it. Like, this is a, this is an organisation that's making rules on the run. They look, they don't look no, stable. They look like they're guessing. And I think that's, that, there's two different parts of that. So, are the way that they're treating this as a case study... Is that the best way to do that? Absolutely not. They look like idiots. They look like they look like reactive. They look yeah, weak. reactive. That's the word I was. Looking does for. does this case have an important deciding factor in how we deal with concussion in the future? Absolutely, as well. Yeah, I agree. Does the that. AFL have the right to change what we consider football acts? I think as well. And that's why it's so complicated because it's like we want to make sure, to the best of our ability, that the game is still really interesting and combative and everything we love about footy, but also doesn't leave us with, you know, an increasing list of people suffering from CTE and concussion and, and all the other effects that are coming out because there are, I think David King listed off on um, whatever podcast it was he did this week, like 12 people already that we know that have chronic concussion issues, headaches, reverberance, whatever. It has to change. It it's has as to simple change. as that. We now know. We're, the reason why it's always been a football act that's been safe is because we didn't know the dangers. This is, so. yeah, well, exactly right. This is beyond changing the rules. This is people's lives. At the end of the day, um, yeah, I, and, I agree with that. And if, I agree, look, but I just if you, think if you had a son or a daughter and you wanted them to play competitive sport, you would second guess AFL. And don't don't say you wouldn't because you would. You would second guess AFL because of the safety of the sport. The thing you is, know yeah, what can come out I, of it. I know what you mean. A hundred percent, I know what you mean. I just think that this is a complete accident, and accidents will happen in co- in contact sports. And this is not an act you want out of the game. And if if we go down this path, it's going to be every accident that happens, you're suspended because somebody got concussed, and you don't want that. The, the case that I hear in the NRL is the Alex um, McKinnon incident, which left mm. him paralyzed and so they changed their they changed crush tackles they changed under the gang tackle with the two with two or more tacklers at a time how you how you put players back on the ground during a tackle they changed yep. all of that did they change it mid-season though yeah they did yeah oh, okay they, they basically were, had a rolling kind of yeah rolling list of changes and then each year they've gone above and beyond to try and keep concussion and spinal injuries in a rugby league sense out of the game and so i think sometimes when that event happens they see it and they go now like do 
can we live with our conscious if we let more jaws and heads and stuff get fractured this year with 13 rounds left? Mm. Yes, no. That's the decision I have to make. They'll hey, make it tonight. Hey, boys, uh, on Thursday night they'll make that decision. Uh, boys, uh, I think we've matured a lot because there would have been a lot of yelling and Nico would be punching and spitting and everything when we'd have dis- disagreements yeah. in the past. But, but now we're, 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 we're wary of concussion. <laughs> no we're wary of concussion, so we're not smacking him in the head anymore when he disagrees. See? That's hey, what we are maturing. That That's was it. a good session today, boys. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed your company. I enjoyed talking to Robbo. And we always enjoy you guys getting involved in the show. So hashtag the gym session. Please get involved. Thank you so much for your company. Enjoy the footy this week. Tigers have a bye. We go the Tigers.